Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Said Business School, Oxford University, and Kantar, the data insights and consulting company. In each episode, we speak to industry leaders about the big issues in marketing, sharing evidence and inspiration for the future. I'm Andrew Stephen, the L'Oreal Professor of Marketing and Associate Dean of Research. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. At the Said Business School. I'm Jane Osler, Global Head of Media, Insights Division of Cantor. Our guest today is Philip Thomas, and Philip is President of Essentials Marketing Division, which includes uh, WALK, the World Advertising Research Council, and MediaLink, which I'm sure a lot of you will have heard of. And also, he is Chairman of Can Lion, the International Festival of Creativity. So we've got lots of interesting questions to ask Philip today. So welcome, Philip. I think the first question really is, if you could just talk us through the process or the things that have happened this year with respect to the Cannes Lion Festival. Obviously, a lot of people will miss that very much, but it would just be really interesting to hear your story and thought process about, about what's been going on this year and how it's changed your your life and your, your work. Yes, um, thank you for having me on the, on the show, so to speak. Uh, if I perhaps talk a little bit about the decision and how we came to that decision, because obviously it's a from a business perspective, uh, an incredibly big decision to have to make. It kind of ruined our entire year in more ways than one. Took our revenues down a spectacular amount. Probably 95% of our revenues disappeared. So, so why did we make that decision? Well, clearly, as things were developing in the early northern spring, sort of late winter, early spring, we realized that we had to have a contingency plan and we did announce that we had a contingency plan to move the festival to October. One of the things we wanted to do was to try to avoid what was happening to many events at that period of time. So I'm thinking of things like South by Southwest, who really were kind of dragooned into making their decisions and they, they made their decisions very, very late. And they were hostages to fortune in the sense that really why they decided to cancel ultimately was because their customers were saying, we're just not coming. So if you take South by Southwest as an example, it was really after Facebook, Google, Amazon, and others said, we are not going to come, that eventually they kind of gave in. Now, we wanted to try and avoid that. 
we wanted to make our decisions as early as possible. So the first decision we made was to postpone it to, to the October. And before we made that decision, we made sure that we did have our big customers on board. So we spent a lot of time talking to all the holding company groups, particularly, but also all the, the brands that come to Cannes and the platforms. And we, we kind of said, we said to them, if we move to October, will you come with us? And they, they all said, yes, we will. We'll support you. It'll be different, but we'll support you. As time went on, however, I think things just changed so rapidly. There are two reasons we made our decision so what, what seemed relatively early, I suppose. The first reason was we just wanted to remove the uncertainty for the industry because everybody uses Cannes as a, as a moment in time, whether you're entering the awards or whether you're going to the event or whether you're just looking at the results. And we didn't want people to wonder whether it was happening. So we wanted to make the decision early. The other reason we could make the decision early was because CanLines is based on the awards and the entries into the awards. And of course, that happens so much earlier than people making a decision to go to an event. And what the big customers were saying to us was, we can't do the awards. We don't have the time, the energy, the money to make these award entries. So your awards are going to be very compromised. And once we realized the awards were going to be compromised, we realized the event would be compromised. And the best thing we could do was kind of get rid of all the uncertainty and tell people it's off. I gave that a bit of time to explain because I think people are probably quite interested in how do you decide to effectively reduce your revenues by 95%. But that was the reason we felt an event in October would have been such a shadow of what it should have been. And so now we're looking to, to June of next year, 2021. But let's actually go back to that sort of decision process because I think it's really fascinating to think about how that unfolds and how quickly, I guess, that unfolds, uh, particularly if you're trying to sort of get out ahead of things. So over what period of time were these decisions taken? Well, that's a great question because it was very fast. So the first call I got was from a great friend of ours who's extraordinarily senior marketer in an extraordinarily enormous global FMCG business. And he called me and he said, Phil, I'm just giving you the heads up. It is going to be extremely difficult to run CanLions this year. And he explained the reasons why. He was very, very understanding of what pain that would bring us. But he was as a, almost as a friend saying, look, all the agencies are telling us and we're telling you this is going to be really hard. I should think within 10 days of that call, and this is now you're going back to when you, uh, middle of March, beginning of March, within 10 days of that call, we, we cancelled the whole show. It was largely because we could talk to our customers in such depth and in such detail, and it was very obvious that it would be brand damaging to go ahead with it, and actually the best thing to do would be to cancel. So one of the things that happens as a result of cancelling a, a, a big industry global event like that is that then you need to you have another challenge on your hands which is to think of how you keep the industry engaged until the event takes place again and what measures or what activities you put in place to ensure that you're as relevant as you ever have been so what are your plans what are you thinking of for this year to keep the industry engaged with your brand the one thing we can't do unfortunately and it's a terrible sadness not only for us but for the industry i think is we can't celebrate and highlight the the world's best work 
So in 2020, that won't exist, which is obviously a great sadness. I think the way we looked at it was this idea that there are such things as virtual events doesn't really appeal to us as a concept because it gives the impression that you're going to get the same experience online as you would at a physical event. And we've never been of the view that that is even possible to do. It's a bit like saying a food delivery service is the same as the restaurant that sent you the food and it's just a completely different experience. So we don't want to pretend that we can provide what happens at Cannes and anybody who's been to Cannes knows full well it's pretty irreplaceable. So the way we looked at it was what are the needs that we think we can fulfill from our for our customers and can we fulfill those to a sufficiently high standard that it's worth us doing something. So we gave that a great deal of thought. And we've come up with a concept called Lions Live, which is really a month of engagement, but more specifically a full week during the week that people would be in Cannes, 22nd to the 26th of June. And it's a week of training, of content, of inspiration and some keynotes. What we wanted to desperately avoid was a Zoom fest. I think there are so many <laughs> virtual events that are basically two people sitting in different rooms talking to each other on Zoom. So we're trying to create something a little bit different and we're, we're giving that away. It's completely free. We hope to attract a pretty large audience for it. And, you know, we went through the details this morning and it's actually looking quite exciting. So the idea there is you're, you're not going dark as a brand. You're still out there and you're, you're trying to do the things that you do as a brand, but do them to the best of your ability online. I'm taking uh, notes here because obviously being at a university, we're thinking about quite similar things, actually. Yeah, avoiding the Zoom fest is <laughs> it's a very good piece of advice. But what do you do then to engage in, in a live experience digitally? without it becoming kind of like that Zoom fest and it's all having webinar fatigue and the like. What are some of the principles, I guess, of design that you and your team have been thinking about with this? At least in our experience at Oxford, anyway, it's really tricky to think about what this looks like. It is really tricky. Uh, there are three or four concepts or, or principles, I think, that we've alighted on having thought about it. And... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Read about it a lot. And also, it's something that maybe we can do that perhaps other organizations can't do, which I'll explain in a minute. But there are some fairly basic design principles. So the first is lots of movement, change of view is, is very important. Now, that seems so obvious when you think about we consume films 
films are edited now so fast. What you're experiencing is changing every single second. Compare that with a Zoom fest of one person and another person just talking. So the first thing is we are going to do that. There will be a lot of visual stimulation, a lot of changes of environment, a lot of chopping and changing of different viewpoints. The second thing is that we are going to present it within a studio environment. So there's a studio in central London. We've got a professional BBC presenter. She'll be introducing each of the different segments. And so there'll be a professionalism about it, hopefully that transcends the Zoom fests. And then the third part is, and this is the bit that maybe other organizations would have a little bit more difficulty in, is we're actually inviting our customers to create the content. And we're very lucky that our customers are professional content creators. So when we say to agencies, hey, you've got a slot, you've got a seven-minute slot on Monday at four o'clock, make us something amazing, they rise to that challenge. So we're very lucky in that sense that they'll be able to create that. So with that mixture and the chopping and changing and doing different, you know, take almost panning in and panning out, changing the length of things. We hope to keep people engaged in a way that so many digital events don't. Let's broaden this out to how the pandemic is affecting the marketing industry and particularly the creative agencies and how they produce content and how the clients are commissioning advertising now. Um, Do you think this may lead to any kind of shake-up or structural changes in the industry that clients will start to expect work to be done more quickly Or do you think things will gradually return to how they were before the pandemic started? I mean, there aren't many reference points. In fact, I suppose you could argue there are no reference points to this pandemic. But one of the reference points, of course, is the global financial crisis, which we lived through in 2008, 2009. And if I look at what happened to the creative output post that event, that is really when Can Lions started to completely explode and just became just such an enormous thing. After the financial crisis, that's when we introduced a lot of the elements of Cam Lions that are now so big. Different kinds of lions, different ways of looking at creativity. I mean, we could hardly keep up with the change because we'd have to introduce creative data as a lion and then we'd have to you know, introduce design, which is PR. All these things came after the global financial crisis. So I think the response to a crisis and the constraint and the difficulty out of that often comes creativity. So you would have to hope that would be the long-term outcome. I think the, the immediate-term outcome, I mean, when I talk to agencies right now, which I do a lot, is they're boxed in at the moment. And they're boxed in creatively because, frankly, they can't, no brands at the moment dare talk about anything other than COVID-19. <laughs> and they daren't talk about anything other than we're all locked down and how are we going to get out of this? So there is a sense of frustration, I think, that the agencies are saying we want this creativity to come. The sooner it can come, the better, because right now it's all a bit dull. I was talking to someone at YouTube, and they say that the dilution of production values that has been forced onto brands by this crisis, in other words, the work that's now going out on YouTube is less slick, is not affecting engagement at all. So to your point about how will this change things, I think it may well mean that scrappier work and less produced work is is seen to be just as effective and just as engaging. So just picking up on that point about the quality of video, for example, in, in an ad 
on YouTube, let's say. I've heard similar things, and, and I know Kantar's done research which would, would point to this as well, and indeed work that, that we did at Oxford with Jane and team at Kantar a couple of years ago, albeit in the context of Facebook and Instagram, kind of said the same thing. You know, in, in, in social channels and, and you know, user-generated content channels like YouTube included in that, I think consumers or users are generally okay with content that, you know, isn't as polished or isn't as glossy or just isn't as good looking as you might expect on, I don't know, let's say, a, you know, an ad in a cinema, for example. And I think that's a lesson we, we've known for a little while now, and it's really being put to the test at scale. It'll be interesting to see, though, and we don't know, of course, what happens afterwards. Do, do the you know, creative agencies decide, okay, well, we can, things don't have to be all glossy, or they just kind of go back to, to that. But I, don't, I agree with you. I don't think the consumer is really all that concerned. <laughs> Maybe they've got bigger things to worry about. Our research actually shows that only 6% of consumers think that brands should actually stop advertising during this period, which is actually a really small amount. And also on the t- some of the testing that we've done very recently, side by side ads, we've tested them before the pandemic. And we've also tested them in context in current times. We know that many existing ads actually can work and they are tonally appropriate. They don't necessarily need to refer to COVID. And I think we've all seen those examples, those reels of ads that are effectively all the same. Obviously, you need to be sensitive to consumers and what they're going through and what, what they are experiencing. But there is still, whether we like it or not, there's still a role for humor, uplifting content and entertainment. Part of advertising's role might actually, depending on the category, might not just be to inform, but also to alleviate some concerns as well and and to make people feel better about themselves. So our research does show that actually more ads um, can run than you think that, that that have actually been running you know earlier on in the year before the pandemic. Philip, does this make you think that maybe creative has a different role to play the, the nature of what effective creative is about? I mean brands have so many things to do now they've got to be purposeful and authentic and maybe uplifting but they've got to do the right thing as well. Does it does the nature of creative work change do you think? I think it has been changing over time anyway. I mean we saw a change at Cannes last year. One of the things we do at the festival is we look at all the speeches from the stages of the festival. We have about 250-300 speakers. It's all recorded and, and videotaped. So we have an opportunity to see what is it that people are worried about, talking about, And we do that by actually counting the words that are used most often on the stage. It's quite a laborious process, or it has been in the past, but we've now got to deal with IBM Watson and uh, they scan it. (laughs) The the words pop out. We've been doing it for about 10 years, actually. And of course, one of the words that has been used over and over again for many, many years is purpose. Hmm. But last year, there was a shift. And the word that was actually used most often was activism. And that was a that was a move away from a rather vague brand purpose, and particularly brand purpose that has no real jeopardy for the brand. So there are many brands who can get to the heart of their purpose, but it's just nobody would ever disagree that it was a good thing. If you look at some of the work like Nike produced last year with the Colin Kaepernick winner that won 11 Lions, I think, across the festival, And that was really Nike taking a political point of view and backing an athlete who was not prepared to stand during the national anthem of the United States as a protest 
in the way that people of color are treated in that country. And for a brand to to take that political stand was was risky in the sense that the initial reaction to that piece of work was bonfires of Nike sneakers and, and a huge backlash. But as Phil Knight from Nike has said on a number of occasions, it doesn't actually matter how many people hate you as long as the right number of people love you. And I think that that move to to activism and taking a stand and perhaps filling a bit of a political vacuum has been something that has been informing creativity already. And I think COVID will accelerate that so that any brand, I think, now going to market without a wary eye on how do we stand on these big issues and what are we in the world for and in what ways are we making the world a slightly better place? If they're not including that in their creative thinking, then I think they won't be building the brand in the way that people expect them to. Assuming all goes well and people can travel again and, and we can come together uh, you know, in large physical gatherings in the not too distant future, what's the new normal though going to look like for the event industry? I'm guessing it's not, at least in the, in the sort of nearer term, going to be just back to how it always was. What are your thoughts around you know, what CAN 2021 is, is going to need to be thinking about, for instance, in terms of bringing a lot of people together? It depends a bit on the progress of the vaccine or treatment. One of the challenges that we've got is, of course, we're very global. So we have like 190 countries or something attend a festival. And it seems at the moment the world is moving at quite different paces. We've got offices in Hong Kong, for instance, that they're already back at work in May and June. And they're not really socially distancing. Whereas you've got other countries, of course, heading into a bit of a fire. What we're planning for is that for a period of time, travel generally, international travel in particular, will become more of a premium experience. It will become necessarily more expensive, partly because of airlines going out of business and just it becoming more difficult to travel, but also... I don't think organizations are going to be as keen on people traveling around the world as they were previously. So I think there'll be a medium term hit on events. In order to counteract that, then we have to be able to provide some kind of digital offering at the same time. So I think that blend of digital and physical will be the reality. Long term, uh, I think events fall into the same category as weddings and parties and restaurants and all of those things that human beings really like to do because human beings like to be together. So I'm very bullish on events long-term. Short-term, it's a nightmare. And medium-term, I think you have to find creative ways of getting through what will be a pretty difficult time for the next year or two. episodes and more information visit cantar.com or oxfordfutureofmarketing.com please leave us a rating and a review and subscribe within your podcast app so you know when new episodes are released thank you